Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Find out how you can get your own Drobo at D-R-O-B-O dot com slash twip. Hey everybody, we're back. I, I guess it would be proper to say konnichiwa because I'm I'm actually hubbing this little mess from uh, from uh, Tokyo, Japan, uh, but also here from all over the world. We've got Steve Simon at a at a truck stop or a rest stop. <laughs> <laughs> hey Steve, where 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 are you exactly? I'm I'm actually at the Ulster truck stop uh, on Route 87 on my way from Thanksgiving dinner last night in Albany to New York City. So about a hundred miles uh, from New York. City city i think i've been to one i've one right near there i locked my the, the keys people, out let me tell you don't lock your keys out of your car because it takes a long time for someone to come find you yeah i'm just looking around to see if i see any uh twippers so there there could be the guy over there in the corner looks like he might be but i'll, I'll anyway carry on <laughs> either that or he's about to ask you for spare change steve <laughs> and that and that person you hear there is scott born and from gig harbor are you, are you at gig no 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 buenas tardes senor oh. i am in socorro new mexico Sucoro, New Mexico. See, we're just—I can't keep track anymore. So I, I don't. I'm, know. So, I'm in like one. I'm the, like. It's got to be more. There's more activity at a truck stop than there is Socorro, New Mexico. Socorro <laughs> yeah. is gorgeous. It is. I'm. I'm at Bosque del Apache, photographing and leading a workshop. Oh, fantastic! Um, and uh, and from somewhere that I always have to guess, but I'm not going to bother. Uh, uh, Ron <laughs> Brinkman, are you are you in in uh, Hermosa Beach or Seattle? I, I, I am in Hermosa Beach today. Yes, okay. I am. In, in the midst of my post-Thanksgiving food coma recovery period and doing okay, although the leftovers are calling to me, so I'll probably put myself back into food coma after lunch. <laughs> Very good. So, um, so anyway, so we've got a we've got a a fun show coming up here. We've got Greg Downing. So now I know you think that Greg Downing came back on the show because he had so much fun last week, but it <laughs> turns out it turns out that we have. Two Greg Downings, two great photographers that are two Greg Downings, and they're very different. You know, they're very, they uh, one you know one does a lot of the wildlife stuff, and then, and another one. We'll have to ask Greg about this because he's he knows about you know they know each other, so it's not like there's a, a fold in the uh, in the universe or anything. So so but uh, so we've got another Greg Downing, and we're going to be talking about giggle 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 pixel. <laughs> That's when you take pictures of little kids, but it's mostly. Gigapixel uh, uh, photography and, and some of the stuff that he's worked on there. So, um, so anyway, I've known Greg for you know a very long time, and I usually he's like the secret to me knowing anything techie uh, when it comes to this. So, um, so I'm, I'm giving away my secrets here. So, uh, so anyway, so he'll be on a little bit later, and uh, the uh, so we've got uh, a linking contest continuing. Is that correct, Scott? The, the linking contest is perpetual perpetual it's just constantly going on so. we have a new one every quarter and this one continues there we go the, the, the prizes change the, the links the are the same change. and also yeah, this this one you're gonna get a chance to win a free year premium subscription to lynda.com fantastic and also we have the uh, aperture nature photography contest and you're offering six days to go six days and the thirty five hundred dollars worth of prizes for each winner for each winner how many winners are there 
there will be a total of 16 over the year. Wow, that's great. So, um, so and by the way, and, and, you know, Steve Simon, who is teaching there with me, I should mention. Now, where now, uh, where can people find out more about the Aperture Nature Photography Contest? All over the web, but the easiest place is flikefrank64.com, f64.com. Okay, great. Uh, we've got uh, more. We've had more camera news, of course. It's been another week, and we've got more exciting news. Uh, Nikon uh, Pro Magazine reveals the details of a 24.5 megapixel D3X. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> now, now are, you guys, are you guys bummed that you got the, D, the D3? Uh, well, no, not really. But I tell you what, you know, this is like the worst kept secrets in the photographic world. I mean, everyone was expecting this, but now that it's actually kind of looks like it's real, um, I am, I'm very excited about it personally. I've been, I've been waiting for this one for a long time. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, I would rather have the D3X than the D3. How about you, Scott? Well, uh, see, it's the same situation as the 5D Mark II, which by the way, I have one in my lap. Um, the, the, these cameras are cool, um, but for a guy like me, I just was out there firing nine frames a second at flying birds, you know, this morning. And, uh, you know, when you shoot stuff, it's three, four, five frames a second. It feels like you're driving a Model T. So, uh, the, the other thing is I'm shooting at sunrise and I'm there 45 minutes before sunrise shooting in the dark so high ISO noise performance is an issue for me and and the Nikon like the big Canon 1DS Mark III has got a lot of pixels but you know you, you give something up there and that is you're not going to be shooting anymore at 6400 Steve. Yeah, I should say that uh, I've been waiting for this camera because I have a particular project in mind where I really wanted to to make uh, very large prints, and I figure you know the the twenty four point five megapixels versus the twelve will will make a, a, a big difference in in the final result. But it'll be interesting to see what uh, kind of low light uh, performance we're going to see with this new camera. They claim within the range uh, that uh, it's going to be very similar to the to the D3, but it's hard to say that after they went through a whole marketing thing of saying that they had less pixels so that they'd have more range. <laughs> so um, I really think it should have been called the D4. Right. Right. And I likewise think that the you know that the, the just see like you have the 1DS Mark III, which is the big Canon, and then you have the 1D Mark III which is the smaller Canon that does wildlife and sports. And really, the D3X and the D3 are totally different cameras aimed at totally different audiences. Right. And frankly, I'm a little bit relieved. I won't feel compelled to buy it. They, they didn't do much to it other than make a bigger sensor, which doesn't attract me. Right. So for those people who thought that they, well, I, need, I, I want an icon, but I want a sensor as big as the Canon one, uh, you know, if you're comparing sensors, there you go. I, I, I compare, sensitivity is more important to me. But the, and I was uh, really, really surprised and actually a little disappointed that it doesn't have video. Or at least uh, they're not mentioning that yet. Yeah, I find that it's, it's yeah, and, and this is, by the way, this was a leak. So uh, It could be that we'll find out more later and that it does have video. But based on the information we're seeing now and looking at the pictures, I, I mean, unless it's by some sort of ninja press of the button that you get video, it doesn't look like it's there. Yeah, and and the uh, you know the it, 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 people are doing some really incredible video work with the uh, is it is the N the um, the D ninety D ninety well the the D ninety video work is not as incredible frankly as what I'm seeing you know from the five D Mark two yeah well the the uh, I mean the, the Mark two looks great the I, I just know that there's been some really there was a really creative music video and we'll try to put a post up. 
uh, on the on the show notes, and I just can't because I can't think of it off the top of my head. But it was a very uh, um, very good music video that was put together all on the on the D ninety. And I, think, I have to tell you, I, I used the D ninety shooting video this morning. It was very frustrating, Alex. Oh, was it? Yeah, well, you, there there's you no there's no autofocus. Right. And, you know, if you're over 40, that means basically you'll never focus anything properly. Right. Um, the other thing is, is there's no control over the aperture and shutter. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is that different in the, in the, um, the, the Mark, the 5D Mark II? I ha- I've just had the camera in my hands for about two hours and I haven't shot. <laughs> so FedEx showed up this morning with it? Uh, well, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it has autofocus either in video mode, uh, Scott. I'm yeah. pretty sure of that. Yeah, I think that's, that's a problem with both of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for, yeah but I, I think I think you got These these are definitely sort of falling into that you know emerging technology range. Yeah. And I, yeah. I don't. I don't. I think if you're going to use one of these cameras as more like a traditional movie camera, where you really sort of deal with you, know, you don't use autofocus typically. You have a focus puller. You have you, you actually measure out the distance to your subject, then it's going to be okay. But they're very yeah. different beasts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I couldn't get any of those birds to hit my mark this morning. I can't say, yeah. no, no, you missed the mark. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, so the, the, uh, the 5D is out in the wild. Uh, it's starting to ship. Uh, there is, um, uh, it's shipping to dealers uh, in the U.S. and should start sh- shipping to domestically. You know, the, uh, the word is any minute. Evidently, it's shipped to Scott a little early. I wonder how that happened. I, I'm not. I'm not allowed to divulge how I came by this camera, but I have it in my hand. And this morning, I had fixed it to the Canon 800 millimeter f/56 lens and tested it. Scott can't divulge it, but there's a FedEx guy uh, wrapped in <laughs> wrapped in, uh, in in duct tape somewhere. You know, it, uh, actually, near, I hate to say dots. this, but this camera was bound for one of you, and I kidnapped the guy. And <laughs> <laughs> you you are a quantum of solace, Scott. That's all I mean about you. <laughs> I can say that the camera, just on my limited playing around with, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's not a wildlife camera. It's definitely not the kind of camera I would typically use. I got it mostly to play with the video. But uh, it, it's. Uh, I can say that I'm looking forward to testing the video with an 800-millimeter f5.6 lens affixed there, too. It looks. It sounds awesome. So the uh, now it's now Canon is saying that they think that that digital camera sales could shrink in two thousand nine. Do we think the digital camera sales are really going to sink? I know the economy is going to go bad, but people need their cameras. They I think everything cameras. shrink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, I think it, I'm personally shrinking as we speak. But really, but I, I don't think it's going to be as as profound as as maybe Canon is is predicting. Um, it already seems, I mean, you know, it's like day-to-day and, and uh, in terms of, you know, the economic and the market and so on. But, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, digital photography is a form of escape uh, and, and sort of, uh, you know, self-expression in a difficult time. And, and you know, sort of like the movies, I, I think that uh, photography as a hobby will, you know, maybe take a bit of a hit, but not as, not as much as some people are predicting. It was interesting to me that that report said that they expected DSLR sales to shrink less. And I would have thought that, you know, I kind of feel like we're at the point where people need a camera. They need a digital camera. And I would have thought that people would sort of make the hard choice and decide to go for a lower end model rather than a DSLR. And it would be the opposite of what they're predicting. So, I don't know. I think that most of the DSLR sales, a lot of them go to people that really can't do without them. I mean, wedding photographers aren't going to be buying point to shoot cameras. Yeah, but I I wonder though. I mean, these days, do you really think it's the pros that are driving the low end DSLR sales? It's still got to be not, 
not the low end, but certainly the high end. And and um, you know, if you if you look at if you look at the prosumer market, which is you know loosely quantified as those people who aspire to be pros. Um, I think they're going to be willing to to make those risks, and a lot of people that would buy a digital camera just as a, you know, I'll get my niece a digital camera type purchase. I, I see those people obviously going with compacts, and they're they're probably that that's where the fall off will see. So I actually agree with the port. Mm. So the um, also. Uh you know, we had the National Geographic post as 2008 International Photography Contest winners. So uh, we'll definitely put a, a link to that. And they, uh, it's, you know, always good to keep up with, uh, with uh, those winners there. So um, there's a winner's, winner's gallery uh, at National Geographic, and uh, we will uh, post that to the show notes. Uh, incredible photos. There are some intense... I, I have to... Ugh. Sorry, Ron, I just wanted to say, put in a little asterisk, because I've seen National Geographic contests. I think they... they, they often have a contest going more than one and uh, there's there's quite a, a rights grab in there if you choose to enter um, you may not lose copyright but you certainly lose control of the image that you enter and they could use it for whatever they want um, uh, without any compensation and, and that for National Geographic I mean that that really bothers me okay so um, so go look at them but be careful if you're going to enter <laughs> know what you're getting into <laughs> right no, that's, that's very good to know very good uh, very good tip there also uh, camera raw 5.2 in the DNG uh, converter is available um, and so uh, that is uh, it adds new cameras like the uh, LX3 which I have in my hand LX3 right so there's no conspiracy after all uh, LX3 so hey, uh, I could still throw some conspiracy out there if you want <laughs> no, so I, I, I also have the LX3, by the way. So I think, I think we, we've, we've, we've moved to an LX3 group here, I think. Now, we so I, I guess, Wait a minute, Alex, did you buy a pre-lost LX3? I lo- I, it's a pre-lost <laughs> LX3. In fact, I put it in my jacket pocket, and I just, I, just hang, I just hung onto that jacket all the way through my flight to Tokyo going, I'm not going to lose my no- another camera. I'm not going to lose so another camera. How long have you had this camera, and when can we start the betting pool on how long it will be? Before? I've had it for a whole week. I'm pretty a excited week? about it. Yes. So if anybody sees Alex wandering around an airport, just follow him. Yeah. <laughs> just you know, I, I actually so I think I posted. You're going to get a present. I think I posted my my uh, uh, on Twitter. Uh, I uh, I posted my my seat number. So in case I lost it, someone would know how to get to it. You know? <laughs> so you know where to find it. So the uh, no, but it's uh, I like it a lot. You know, it's it's a very. Uh, uh, I don't, you know, I I, was, I think I was expecting, you know, the the sky when it comes to low light performance, and I notice it's still a little, you know, grainy compared to what I'm used to. But but the, you know, I'm seamlessly dropping between. I'm shooting behind the scenes for this uh, movie that I'm working on, so when I'm not dealing with the effects, I'm I'm dealing with, uh, you know, just kind of grabbing little photos and 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 movies, and the effortlessness of going between the two settings, uh, you know, is just really really great. So. Yeah, there's a lot of really nice ergonomics on it. You really you, you do miss the uh, having a, a longer zoom on there. I've noticed it's yeah. It's a very, that, that is I do I do admit that that was one thing that I noticed was that I was like oh I really I really could I really wanted to zoom in just a little bit further. But I but I overall I think it's a it's a really great little camera. Yeah, I love it. I was glad I hung out. So uh, a lot of controls by the way. Uh, just just to wrap up all of this, there's a uh, you know there's going to be a shutter voice. Check this out. It is, it's going to be Windows only. We won't hold it against them just right for right now. But uh, it is, um, it's using, it, it's, it allows you to control the camera 
uh, with your voice. So you can liter- literally say like zoom to infinity or I, I, you know, I would change that to infinity and beyond, but anyway, Just yeah. about to say, isn't that, isn't that better to do infinity and beyond? Yeah, that's what I, you know, but, but, but metering, um, uh, depth, you know, you can, uh, you know, change a lot of the different pieces. And so it's, it's in beta right now, uh, but it should be very interesting to be able to control your camera. Although I think that, you know, for the way I shoot, I think that would be really, uh, upsetting. Um, but if I'm shooting like stuff with, I'm not a lot of people around where they don't have to listen to me, talk to my camera. Um, I think it would be kind of cool. And also there's a long distance camera trigger coming out. Uh, it is um, using walkie talkies. So we'll put uh, some, we will uh, do some more research on that, but uh, it's uh, something to keep your eye out for in the, in the distant future. And, uh, and we have a, a new site of the week here. This is uh, the World at Night, and this was sent in uh, thanks to AMP. 1985. You know, if you send us a, one of these in, please give us a, a name um, uh, so we can uh, properly credit you. Um, but this is a, a new program that will produce and present a collection of stunning fo- photographs and time-lapse videos of the world's most beautiful and historical sites with uh, a nighttime of uh, stars, planets, and so on and so forth. And so, um, so this is a, it's pretty, there's a lot of interesting galleries here and um, from all over the world. And so it's definitely worth uh, checking out. I, there's a, of course, I went to immediately to Africa. That's what I do, and uh, and there's some really interesting ones of the pyramids and uh, other ones. It's just you know if you like night photography, um, definitely worth uh, worth checking out. So thank thank you very much to AMP uh, 1985 uh, for your uh, uh, for your submission. A great great uh, site to check out. Uh, we have a uh, we're in the final week. The final week of straight lines. Are we going to do curved lines next time? I quit it. <laughs> <laughs> so straight lines. How, and this has been a very successful one, hasn't it, Scott? I'm going to say this. No, most entries ever in a TWIP photo assignment wow. already. And, and we're not done with the month yet. And arguably should have been a slow month because the holiday tends to decline participation in online stuff. Um, you know, and without question based on, at least my opinion, the very best images we've ever received on a theme. Wow, that's interesting. I've seen a dozen that I could pick right off the top that were great. Maybe it was just because it gave people a lot of latitude to actually, uh, you know, really create, you know, there's so many opportunities for that, for that one to work, um, for, pe- for people to think about. I'm going to say this, now that I know our audience is capable of this right. kind of work, I expect more from them from now on. <laughs> see, now everyone listening, see, that, that's what you get yourself into. That's what, you know, when you, you start shooting good photos, and then he's just going to raise the bar. And you, just gotta you, guys look, you guys need to look at the submissions. They are stunning. Yeah, we'll I'm very, very proud of our audience. I'm telling you, it is just some stunning work. And it's going to be tough to pick the winner. And the winner will receive an absolutely free, fully functional in the box, shrink wrapped copy of Adobe Photoshop CS4. Wow, Ooh. that's a prize. That's quite Good a money. prize for just a little old, you know, podcast monthly photo assignment. That would have made like national news ten years ago if you gave away something worth that kind of money. A full Alex, come on. Yeah, and CS4 is is a uh, great upgrade. I've been using it a lot lately, and uh, really, really fantastic. So uh, get those photos out there. There's only one week left, and uh, we've got the last poll results regarding photography as a stress reliever. For you, is it, does it add more stress relief than inducer, more stress inducer than relief, stress inducer, or stress relief? Now, most people thought that photography was a stress reliever. Uh, and, and then the second, that was 58.8%. 35.4% said it was more stress relief than inducer. 
and uh, there's four percent that are very stressed out. So something tells me. Something tells me that that lines up with our uh, professionals versus uh, hobbyist shooters <laughs> ratio. I have to admit, I I took the poll, and it was during a time when I was a little bit stressed out about an assignment, and I'm in that 1.8 percent uh, at that moment. So maybe that's just me. In <laughs> so the, yeah, so that was uh, you know I I think when when yeah professionally it's very stressful, but when I'm um, for, for the most part, it's kind of fun, except when I'm taking them all over the place. You know, in I, you know, I, I don't want to look like a tourist in Japan, but I, uh, I can't help take pictures of crazy stuff. Evidently, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is the boss here, and uh, I keep on taking pictures of, of him. But I, but everyone's staring at you, looking at why are you taking pictures of of a uh, vending machine? So, uh, so now, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. Tommy Lee Jones is on a vending machine everywhere. It, it's and it just says boss uh-huh. you know it's got All these right. little coffees you know and Tommy Lee Jones and I'm just like I, I keep on taking photos of it just because it looks so goofy and um, yeah, <laughs> the, the people here it, it's a little stressful for me because the people here are looking at me like I'm crazy yeah, you so. mean not everybody's carrying cameras around in Japan there's a lot of people carrying cameras around but they're not taking pictures of like obscure like I, I bought the lunch and for my I'm, I have a blog at box uh, alexlindsay.box.com and and uh and I bought my lunch, of course, I took a picture of the lunch, and I took a picture of the machine, and I took a picture of the ordering thing to put it on my blog. And, and of course, the entire, uh, the entire lunchroom is staring at me. Like, oh, hey, man, a- don't care what the other kids say. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was like. I was like, I'm here. <laughs> I'm taking the picture. Uh, you know, but it was a little stressful. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, but- you are crazy, but don't worry about that. <laughs> Very good. Our next, uh, our next uh, question have you ever had your camera gear stolen? Now, Alex, this doesn't count losing it. I've had one stolen. I well, I haven't had a, I haven't had a still. Have I ever? I don't think I've ever had a still camera stolen. I had a video camera stolen um, at a concert in uh, Zimbabwe. I remember you. Yeah, it was like it was there, and then poof, it was gone. Those guys were. I mean, I felt like they almost deserved to get the camera just because it was so well done. You know, I was. I was I, did nice. I ever tell you guys about the time when I lived in Montreal that I? left my camera bag in a parking lot overnight and then the next day I went back and they had saved it for me it was there wow i left it in an outdoor parking lot Man. <laughs> oh my god did i did i just admit that publicly <laughs> so people can make a follow, mental note here yeah don't follow don't, steve don't, around yeah, follow, <laughs> so follow Steve around, follow and Alex don't around. Don't send many of your gear either there, Ron. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> good point, exactly. good point. <laughs> so, if um, Steve says, can I just borrow your camera for a date? No. <laughs> exactly. You're right about that. You're exactly. <laughs> so, um, so now we have our, uh, our esteemed guest for uh, this week. Uh, Greg, are you there? I can hear you. Ah, very good, very good. So, uh, so Greg Downing... Um, you know, I uh, actually uh, met Greg when he was, uh, you know, working a long time ago, doing a lot of um, both photogrammetry and uh, and HDR work uh, with a company called RealViz, which has been uh, bought up by Autodesk now. But that was quite some time ago, and and from that point of view, from, from that that point, you've really gone into the. I, I would say one of the uh, you know the experts, the leading experts on this in this area. And uh, can you give us a little um, background of, of kind of what your work involves? Uh, sure. Well, um, see, I I worked for a number of years in in visual effects. Um, so I, I got to work on a couple of the tentpole movies. So you, you, were, you were at Rhythm and Hughes, right? Yeah, I was at Rhythm and Hughes and at Sony Imageworks. Okay, great. And you were, and, um, and what, what were you doing there? 
Uh, well, at uh, Rhythm and Hughes, I did. Uh, I was a lighter, and mm-hmm. um, I also uh, was on the team that helped design a new uh, HDRI camera. Um, that was that was used uh, in Narnia, or yes, it was used in Narnia. So the uh, at Sony ImageWorks, uh, I set up uh, uh, some pho- a photogrammetry wor- workflow. So uh, it was for building cities. So we we're taking uh, very large, high dynamic range images that we're using to uh, rebuild the city, and then we would use the uh, HDR photographic texture. Uh, on the 3D model, so we ended up with something that was highly realistic, like a photograph, but you could move around like a 3D model. Now, was this was that for uh, Spider-Man, or was that for? I did a lot of the work on Spider-Man, but uh, in the end, uh, the shots didn't make it into the film. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. It's not one of those, uh, you know, really fun uh, Hollywood experiences where you get to work for, you know, you pour your your lifeblood into a project for six or eight months, and then, uh, you know, it kind of disappears. Um, <laughs> but um, it was used in I Am Legend uh, quite extensively. So I ended up doing lots of lighting while I was there too, kind of in between uh, photogrammetry projects. Now and now, since then, you have now really gone into uh, this process of gigapixel panos. Can you describe a little bit about what gigapixel panos are? Sure. Well, they're uh, extremely high resolution images, and the way we achieve this kind of extreme detail. Um, and just to give you an example, like when we go to the top of a skyscraper and take a photograph of a city, you can read street signs from across town. You can actually zoom in and read a street sign from uh, you know, a couple miles away. Uh, and the way we do that is we, uh, we take a camera and we put a very telephoto lens on it um, so that each picture we're only capturing maybe one or two degrees, but we'll have you know, between 12 and 20 megapixels for that one or two degrees. And then we're doing um, what is probably familiar to uh, a lot of the audience, which is just panoramic stitching. So we're going to be stitching these images together uh, on a computer, but uh, instead of just taking you know five, six, eight, or twelve images, uh, we end up taking several hundred. So we take hundreds and hundreds of images, each one being only a few degrees, but collectively they add up to 180 degrees or 360 degrees. And when we stitch them all together, we get this extreme detail. And now, if if uh, 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 you, what, how do you control that? Like, what what's the machine that makes that actually work? Sure. Well, we use a motion control head, which um, uh, is basically a like a small robot that moves the camera in very fine increments, so that you you're sure that you have the correct amount of overlap, because they are only moving a few degrees between shots. And if you're doing that manually, it's it's very <laughs> tedious. Yeah, it, it can be done. We we did we've done a couple that were done manually, and it's extremely <laughs> tedious. And the chances that you're going to end up with a hole are pretty high. Right. So if you want to be sure you're going to get the shot. Uh, you've got to use something that's mechanical. Um, so we use, we've used a bunch of different heads. So uh, right now, probably our main production head is called a Rodeon, um, and that's uh, made by a German company, and it connects over Bluetooth to the computer, and we can program it to do anything we want. So we also use it for panning time-lapse, um, so we can, we can control the camera any way that we want to. It's very repeatable. Um, so that's our main production unit, uh, but we also have started using the Gigapan a little bit. So the Gigapan is a very low-cost version. Um, so how much? How, what, do you, what do you mean by low-cost? Uh, it's under five hundred dollars. I wow. 
I haven't checked the website recently, but I think it's around three fifty is what it's going to be selling for. And, but it's not it's not being sold yet. Uh, it's not being sold yet, but I think they're very close. And you and you've done some pretty heavy testing with this. We have, we have, we've we've shot a lot of images with it. Now this is where you, this is what you took to Yosemite, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, the Yosemite project was actually very dependent um, on the Gigapan because uh, it's it's very easy to train people on. It's 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 very simple to use. Uh, we trained uh, everybody on it in like maybe maybe two hours, um, right. and they were everybody was able to use it successfully and and get the images that we wanted. And also, it's really lightweight, so. Normally, when we go, we're using you know something like a 1DS Mark III, uh, you know, large, heavy lenses. Uh, uh, we've got a heavy motion control head, and we've got a laptop, and that's usually what we hike with. Right. Uh, and it's just brutal. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's a, it's very you know if you're going to some difficult to get to location, it, it it's it, it would basically be a lot to ask of a volunteer. And so the Yosemite <laughs> project was all volunteers, and so we didn't want to send people to the you know the top of El Cap or the top of Half Dome with you know really heavy gear. Um, right. And uh, now at first so, you thought you were going to do that on your own, right? Yeah, that was that was Plan B. <laughs> <laughs> Plan B for the project was hiking 120 miles of trails and 36,000 feet of vertical climb. Um, <laughs> luckily, we didn't ever have to go to Plan B. How many uh, How many volunteers did you have working on this? Well, we had 70 people total right. uh, that that came out to work on this, and we split them up into 20 teams, and uh, we sent uh, we gave each team a, a gigapan and a, a Canon G9. And so it was very lightweight to, to take to the top of the mountain. And uh, we sent them all to different locations all around the rim of the valley. Um, so everybody had uh, a bit of a climb. And we got everyone there at exactly the same time. And we had radios. And we had uh, everyone take their gigapixel photograph at the same moment in time. So we had, I think, 15,000 photographs taken in about 40 minutes. Wow. And, then, and you ha- how many panos did you end up shooting? Uh, so we had about twenty, uh-huh. and and yeah. um, and were they HDR or just? Uh... No, we used RAW. We wanted to do HDR, but uh, we had a uh, resolution requirement, and so there was a, a problem that if we if we did HDR, um, the it would take about three times as long, mm-hmm. and then uh, the light would change much more dramatically. Right. Uh, so we just to make sure that we could we could nail the resolution, we just shot in RAW. Now how how uh, uh, how long does it take uh, uh, for the Gigapan to to take the whole panorama? Well, it all depends on how much resolution you want. Um, basically, the more telephoto you go, you go, and and the wider the angle of view that you're going to capture is, um, the uh, the more shots it's going to require, and the the longer it's going to take. Right. So you can tell it like, oh, I just want forty shots right here, and and I'm just going to go for kind of a, a medium telephoto, and right. you know you could be done in and five or ten minutes. But if you want something that's really big, you want to take 500 images like we did, uh, then you're looking at probably 30, 40 minutes, something like that. And, and uh, is it something that you pretty much push the button and then get out of the way? Uh, pretty close. Um, there's a calibra- calibration process. So uh-huh. you go through and you say uh, uh, you point at a horizontal line. You say this is the, the, the line is at the top of the frame and 
and you press a button, then you move it and say the line is now at the bottom of the frame. Right. And from that, it automatically calibrates uh, the increments for taking the photos. Oh. Uh, so you do that once for every zoom level, and then you just mark the upper left-hand corner, lower right-hand corner, and say go. Wow. And, and, yeah. uh, is, and it can do HDR if you set it to, so it'll do the multiple exposures? Um, you know, we've done that with our pro rigs, but we haven't done that with a Gigapan. Okay. So uh, I, I wouldn't want to commit an answer, but uh, there's, it doesn't seem like there's a reason that you couldn't do that. Does it only work with Canons, or does it work with uh, you know, any other cameras? It's, it's versatile. It'll work with any point-and-shoot. So mm-hmm. it won't he- hold like a pro DSLR, right. but um, it, it works with just about any point-and-shoot, and, and, it, and it, does the, it does this by just using a, a simple mechanical plunger uh, on the shutter release button. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah, it's very simple and it it's super reliable, um, and that those are the things that we like about it. Now, how the, uh, the, you you built a long pano of the of the entire area, right? That's right. That's and, right. And and that was uh, basically an impossible photo. And we have a we're, I, I did a video with Greg uh, last week, which we'll put out hopefully next week or the week after, and uh, uh, and so we, we'll see a little bit of this. But how many pixels was it wide when you finished it? Oh, let's see. I'd have to do a quick calculation here. We did uh, 300 DPI by 40 feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's somewhere around two or three gigapixel image. Uh, uh, finally, but it is a uh, it's an impossible view of the valley. Right, and and uh, that, and, and that took a lot of uh, extra. It was more than photography at that point. Yes, at that point, we, we basically were bringing gigapixels into 3D and rendering gigapixels back out of 3D. So it's kind of a hybrid photo. It's, it's kind of part photograph and part 3D. Right, and you can, I mean, I, I saw that. Now, are you, you're take, are you taking this picture on tour, or is it, do you, you bring it, you, you, do you post it? I saw it at Seagraph. Yes, uh, we had a print at SIGGRAPH. Um, we also had a print at a camera conference uh, called SIGSIGHT. That was in Monterey last week. Um, we are also going to be showing it at PMA. So at PMA, it's, uh, uh, it's not settled yet, but we're probably going to uh, make the print much larger at PMA. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, I mean, the, the, the most amazing thing about this print was when I was at SIGGRAPH and I, and I saw it, I... Uh, before I even saw Greg, I, I saw this really long picture, and I walked up to it, and it was perfectly, uh, perfectly smooth. I mean, you walk up, put your nose against it, and every little detail is still there, and it's forty feet long. And the the thing that I thought was as soon as I as soon as I saw it was Greg shot this. <laughs> I was like, then there was a lot, there was a lot of looking around for Greg. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is insane. So now 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 here's the here's the important question. Here is. Uh, uh, is do you know the other Greg Downing? Uh, you know, I've I've uh, had an email exchange with him, uh, which has been pretty funny because we've we've had lots of crossed wires over the years. <laughs> I, I can tell you, the one thing I'm really thankful about is that he is an awesome photographer. <laughs> if you're going to be mis- if you're going to be mistaken for someone, uh, that's the person to be mistaken for, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. No, but I I've had his clients calling me, and I always have to redirect them, and I, they always say, "Hey, are you Greg Downing, the photographer?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm Greg Downing, the photographer." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So now you just got to do a gigapan of a of a of a you know some wildlife, and you'd be you'd be pretty much set. The key is keeping them all to not move so much. Right. I I, I want to see how that works. I'll be real interested. <laughs> there are ways. Well, 
I was going to say, suddenly the new Nikon 24 megapixel doesn't seem quite enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know we don't, you're not talking about just, a real photo until you get to a gigapixel. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> let, let me jump in here and ask, Greg, do you see any applicability to this to, like, you know, normal people that don't know what the word node means? Sure. Well, actually, you know, surprisingly, um, uh, you know, this may not have been anticipated, but the Gigapan project is all about, you know, selling this to uh, consumers. They're they're democratizing gigapixel imagery, and they they want uh, gigapixels for masses is is kind of their mantra. So uh, they are trying to get it out there to anybody who is interested, and they've certainly made it easy enough. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I, I find that uh, I do it all the time. I mean, when I'm sitting there, the pan, you know, just a basic stitch inside of Photoshop is so easy. Now, you can't go really up or down as, as easily, but uh, building a basic pano in Photoshop is so easy that I shoot panos all the time. Like, that's just kind of second nature for me at this point. Uh, and I, I think that having, uh, you know, something like this, I don't think this is necessarily for, you know, my parents, but I think that for the avid amateur who's, uh, or, or semi-pro or even, you know, um, uh, or, or professional, I think, uh, you know, being able to go out and shoot these big panoramas, uh, I, I think would be pretty exciting, especially when the price is not $50,000. What, what's the price of the, of the high-end rig that you use? Uh, it's $4,000. For 4000 So it's not, yep. not that bad. I, I look at, like, you know, these spherons and everything else, and they're like 48000 or you know, fifty thousand dollars, and I'm like, well, no one's going to use that anytime soon. But this is something that that uh, I think it's very exciting. So uh, I think yeah. it does. I think it changes the rules on panoramic a little bit. Definitely, when you get down to that price point where you know, at five hundred bucks, it's like another piece of camera gear. It's you know, the same range as a lens. You can you can start to justify it. It's pretty neat. Well, I think that also you know when you talk, when it's that inexpensive being able to use it for something like real estate for instance which is not very popular right now but we got some time to work on it so uh um but real estate you know you know they, they usually want some something that's fairly quick and automatic and uh and you could really get really high resolution photos of your uh of that stuff you know when you think about just the um all the different you know possibilities for someone who's never done this kind of thing and it, it's it sounds incredible and i'd love to i can't wait to see it um what kind of computing power do you need to be able to sort of put this stuff together um do you need obviously a, a pretty pretty powerful uh computer uh yeah well basically we're we're using the top line that we had access to um so we're using uh, a processor uh power max and um we the biggest thing is I/O, so you want uh, really fast raids, and that will speed up the process significantly because um, it really can't hold all this data in in memory. Um, so it's going to be going into swap constantly. But a power uh, so a powerful computer is is good, but even more important is uh, really fast I/O. So hey Greg, how did you just run here? Did, how did you um, how did you actually generate the three D model that you mapped this back onto? Sure. Um, well, that, uh, a lot of that work was done by my uh, business partner, Eric Hansen. Um, so he's, you know, uh, like me, came from visual effects, only he's, he was in visual effects probably a lot longer than I was. Um, yeah, I know Eric. Oh, good. You know Eric. Okay. Yeah. So um, uh, what we did was we, uh, we got a one meter uh, digital elevation model of the park. So uh, just happens, uh, 
you know, by chance, right before we did this project, the national parks uh, had Yosemite scanned at one meter resolution. So that's about 10 times the resolution that you see in virtual Earth or Google Earth or, or any of those uh, 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 globe browsers. Um, and we, we took that model and then we uh, tracked our gigapixel images into the model. So we just kind of figured out where in the model and which way the panorama was pointing. And then we did, you know, a simple camera projection. But, well, not exactly simple because it required quite a bit of manipulation to get a gigapixel image uh, <laughs> into the renderer and back out of the renderer. So right. <laughs> it took a, a lot of time. Uh, 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 gymnastics with tiling uh, in order to make that happen. But uh, then we projected the, the image onto the 3D model, and then we uh, rendered it orthographically. So the image we created is uh, eight miles of continuous valley wall. So basically, you can see one entire side of Yosemite Valley in one image. So but, there's really. Any, let me ask you this at any time, were you required to measure your interocular distance? No. <laughs> but, but you know, the interesting point about this is, is because you because you have a 3D model, you could do a stereo version of it, right? Oh, absolutely. I just, I just you know, I wanted, I, th- I thought it was important for us to throw something, you know, like interocular. <laughs> I mean, because well, you know, yeah. this is this is what you, this is where you guys lived. So, I mean, I, I last year, I, I last week, I was contacted by the International Podcasters Association. They did verify that Ron's use of the word interocular in our show was the first time it had ever been used <laughs> in any podcast. And so, I just, I just thought we should keep that thing going. It's going to be like a, that's going to be our. Every week, we're going to try to figure out a way to get interocular into the show. You just gave me the opportunity. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, everything's stereo now, so that's, that's the <laughs> yeah. new thing. It's all ball bearings, I hear. So the, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so. Steve, is there anything left of your brain? Because you and I are the only two normal people. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm in a lot of pain right now, but no, this is, it's fascinating. I, I can't wait to see that uh, image up close. It's, it's really pretty cool. I mean, the thing that's so cool about it is that, you know, it, it looks like a picture of the mountain from a distance. And you get up close, and you get closer and closer, and you realize that, you know, you can see the guys climbing the mountain. Uh, yeah, you know, in the image, so it's it's impressive. It's it's very very well, impressive. But, uh, something that might be more interesting to the the photographers is that we've been learning. You know, we've been doing this for a number of years now. And what, what we one of the things that we've been learning about taking images with this much detail is that it, it's a slightly different uh, thing that makes a good gigapixel image versus what makes a good regular resolution image. Um, uh, what makes a good gigapixel image is is one that you can explore. So it's it kind of requires like even a little bit more uh, uh, in planning than, than a regular image would. So when you could zoom in, you can see people, uh, you know, climbing, uh, climbing up El Cap or, um, you know, these types of details. It makes it much more exciting. Um, so it's just kind of interesting, like just like stereo photography or just like, you know, motion picture is, has different compositional requirements. We're finding out these very highly detailed images have slightly different compositional requirements. Um, than traditional imagery. Now, where can people uh, find uh, find these photos on the uh, web? Yeah, you can go to xrez x r e z dot com, and we've got a whole lot of images from all over the world, and we're about to put up a bunch from uh, uh, from uh, Rio and from uh, uh, Egypt and Europe, and we've got all kinds of great stuff up there right now too. 
Fantastic. And uh, so um, definitely check that out. And I, I, uh, we're work- I, I did a video with Greg, so uh, we'll have that out in the next week or two uh, in this feed. So just, uh, just stay tuned what? and it'll pop what? right out. Yes. What? I know. Video. It's crazy. It's a crazy idea. So, You're uh, actually going to put something midweek in the feed? Yes. It's, I know it's not going to be next week. It's going to be the week after. But yes, yes. Okay. It's, I know it sounds nutty, but, uh, but we're going to do it. So, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to encourage you to write to Alex in the event that he doesn't fulfill this problem. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it would have been next week, except that we had Thanksgiving and the crew was actually and not you're working. And Japan, which probably doesn't help. Well, well, it doesn't have to do anything to do with me. <laughs> oh, okay. I, just, I just talk to people, and then there's a whole the bunch of people that are going to be tasked yeah. with it. I, I, don't, I don't do it myself. So uh, We refer to them as the pixel minions. You know, no, they, they, I, I usually refer them to as Lane Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, the, uh, so anyway, they'll be working on it, and uh, they'll have it out either next week or the week after. I can't so. wait to see it. I, I was joking, but I am very interested. Yeah. Thank you very much, Greg. Oh, thank you. And Greg will stay on if, if any of the listener questions uh, are applicable. Yeah, he, because he I'm sure many of the questions we have are at this technical level. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually have one that's going to be perfect. So anyway, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wait for to see if Greg wants to jump in. I think it's important to note that it is great to have two guests named Greg Downing back to back. Next week, for the following three weeks, our guest will be Tom Smith. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, now, now, if you're shooting all these images uh, on a Gigapan, of course, what you need to do is make sure that they're taken care of, uh, you know, and, and, and stored in a proper way. And of course, the way to store them is on a on a Drobo. Uh, so uh, we want to thank, of course, Drobo for uh, uh, for uh, backing us up here, uh, both uh, backing us up on the show and backing us up uh, at home. <laughs> so that was course, a nice little double entendre. There. I know, I know, I know. It just it just it just came out. I didn't even plan it. You're such a witty guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, a Drobo, of course, is the most intelligent and automated storage solution ever made. Most intelligent. Uh, it combines up to four hard drives uh, to form a single pool of protected storage. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we, the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, I, I put all the important data on the Drobo. I think, that's, I think we're all Drobotized, aren't we? I we just are. shoved a new hard drive into mine today. Oh, Did you? You know, I, I actually bought two drives for mine, but I haven't put them in yet. He <laughs> <laughs> with Steve, everything is very deliberative. He's like, he buys the Drobo, he lets it sit there, then he thinks about buying the drives, then he buys the drives. Now he's going to think about installing them. Now he's going to then eventually... Next week we're going to get the uh, update that Steve unwrapped the drives. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little. You haven't scared. taken them out of the box yet, have you? You just bought them. Uh, actually, no. There, I, I got them. I got them. Fa- your recommendation: hundred dollars for a terabyte drive, uh, oh. and uh, Western Digital, and uh, re- ready to go. And probably this weekend before next week's show. Oh, there's some pressure. I gotta get. A, I gotta get a show out, and Steve's got to put a drive into the into the Drobo. It won't hurt, and I just you know I, I do appreciate it. We got lots of email from people pointing us to the hundred dollar drives. Thank you. I bought another sixteen. Nice. And, Where are the hundred dollar terabyte drives? That's that's uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, Newegg is where I got mine as well. Actually, if you go there today, Black Friday, they're ninety four dollars. I paid. Oh I paid one twenty last week for twenty. 
three of them. You know, you know, it was really funny as I was, I was walking through immigration expecting someone to notice that I wrote on my de- declaration. So you got to yeah, I wrote on my declaration 24 hard drives, you know, in, in coming into Japan thinking that somebody will notice that. But I, but I stacked it with all, every, like I just cluttered it with every other thing that I own. And uh, the guy looked down at this big list and he goes, is this all yours? And I said, yep. And he's like, okay. And then he just gave a little circle. And I was expecting some kind of, you know, I was expecting to be pulled into some back room and, you know, asked about it in Japanese, but uh, no, they don't, <laughs> evidently don't, they don't really care. 20, 24 hard drives is not particularly exciting. Uh, now, I'm going to take a wild guess. That didn't make it into your carry on. Uh, it, it did actually. <laughs> That's on your carry on? You know, that, you know, it turns out that if you get, if you get 20, 20 hard drives, uh, 20 terabyte drives and you, and you keep them in the, in the styrofoam that they fit perfectly into a, the carry-on roll-on. You know, the, the little roll-on behind you? Yeah. Oh, they yeah, actually okay. just drop in as if it was a box built for it. It, it was at least the one that I own. Um, so, yeah, you can actually fit 20 uh, terabyte hard drives into uh, a carry-on. So, uh, it's, check uh, your LX3? You checked your LX3 in, in luggage? No. <laughs> no, I put that in my... I put that in my jacket pocket. We, we need to refer to that appropriately as the pre-lost LX3, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, and if you know what, if, if there was a way to back up an LX3 onto the Drobo, I wouldn't worry about you. <laughs> exactly. I think I need to back it up in two places. Everything that's on the Drobo is safe. I, I think we need – I do want to point out one thing you, you may not have noticed, Alex. Um, as of this week – those of you who were hoping to buy a little bit cheaper USB Drobo, I'm sorry to say, first gen is gone. It's gone. Firewire only. Now we're just in second gen Firewire drives. But the good news is, in the past, we've we've arranged at you know with a lot of finagling with the people at Data Robotics to get a twenty five dollar um, discount for our TWIP listeners. Well, we twisted their arm a little more, and now it's fifty. Fifty dollars, and and that, that's just Drobo.com slash TWIP. Yep, and that's and that, but but it is only good on the FireWire Drobo since there is no more USB Drobo. There you go. So go Drobo.com. A terabyte drive right there, fifty bucks. That's half a terabyte drive, right? Exactly. That's a new. That's a that's a Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so anyway, so definitely check that out. Drobo.com slash twip. Uh, now we've got a couple questions that we're going to dive through here. Uh, first one is, um, this is from, uh, Matt Barry. He said, hi gents. Uh, he says, I've got a, uh, I've got a software question for you all. I upgraded a Mac a few, I upgraded to a Mac a few years ago and went ahead and purchased Aperture. I inherited a copy of Capture NX as well and went back and forth between each of the editing, uh, and for touch-ups. Uh, with Aperture 2.0, the subsequent plugins are now available. Is it worth moving over to CS4? I'm assuming he's talking about Photoshop. Or should I stick with what I know? I'm definitely a photo enthusiast. It's a serious hobby. So I don't know if I need the quote-unquote power of CS4 or not. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. So what do you guys think? Well, they're different I think, things. I mean, yeah. Ap- yeah. Aperture is not intended to be i I mean it's almost a question phrased as if you would replace aperture with cs4 and you wouldn't you would add cs4 to your use of aperture whenever you needed to move pixels around if you don't need to move pixels around and you don't need to work with layer mask you can do everything 
pretty much with Aperture 2.0 and the plugins that are available. If you need to do pixel editing, then yes, you want CS4. But if if you're, in, in my opinion, if you're not a pro and you don't know that you want to spend the money, you might start with Photoshop Elements, which has 95% of everything a photographer would need for a lot less money. Yeah, and if you're, you know, if you've got, a, if you're an Aperture user and you want to link to an external editor, which you easily do, CS4 would be a fantastic thing to link to. But you're right, maybe Elements would be enough at the beginning and then uh, you know see where it goes from there yeah I think that I think Scott hit it on the head is just that it's a it's a are you moving pixels or not kind of thing you know really if you, if you want to touch stuff up uh, if you want to you know um, move things around a little bit uh, I think that you're gonna you're gonna really want the power of uh, the power the quote-unquote power of CS4 yeah but uh, if you have it just sounds like I would say until you run into a wall with you know I can't do this in aperture yeah, I mean, you know, right. if you haven't hit that problem yet, it doesn't sound like he has in yeah. some ways. And probably um, the first step would be elements. It wouldn't be, I don't think I would jump necessarily to CS4 um, unless you really had a need for it. You know, I think elements are probably the next step up. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you, for a lot of the things you would do, now that Nick is finally, I'd like to think I had some role in this, but I'm sure I didn't. Now that they finally lowered the prices, their entire Aperture plug-in suite, which takes care of just about everything you would need, is two ninety nine. Right, right. So. And that allows you to stay in aperture a little longer. But it, you know, if the question is, is and we might be misreading the question, if the question is, is CS4 worthy upgrade? Absolutely. It's, CS4 is a great upgrade from CS3. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, I, I get a sense that Matt Barry wants to spend the money on CS4. And if, and if, if you're just looking case, for our permission, Matt, you have it. You have the permission. It's a great piece of software. It's the if you're going to have a graphics piece of software, that's the one that I. That's the, and you know we should probably offer on a desert to, island. I'd be there with my laptop and CS4. We should offer to do a service for our listeners, Alex. Yes, and that would be coming up on Christmas. You know, most uh, most of the folks in the audience are looking for an excuse to buy something, and maybe the spouse is giving a little grief. Just blame us. <laughs> exactly. We are Just your we are your your, your photographic scapegoat. Yes, we'll take full responsibility because we live vicariously through photographic purchases. <laughs> <laughs> just send us pictures. Personally, just, yeah, just send us pictures. I bought this. It was very expensive. Tell us what you had to give up when you bought it. You know, that that, that helps a lot. So uh, so anyway, we've got another question here from Garrett uh, Riffle. Uh, Riffle. Um, he said uh, he's got uh, two questions. I'm getting into doing QuickTime VRs and was wondering what you recommend for a tripod head and is there a place to host uh, QuickTime VRs on the internet for free? Uh, so there's a... Uh, you know, a lot of heads available, and this is one I thought we might drag uh, Greg into. Um, what do you What do you use as far as be, with uh, not the motorized ones, but the you know, if you're doing a hand uh, QuickTime VRs or when you did that, what would you use? Oh, I I still do that. I actually just uh, got back last week from a, a trip to Egypt where I I shot a lot of panoramas, um, and when when I'm just doing the the lower resolution sphericals, um, I I just got a uh, Nodal Ninja, the new the new pro version of the. <laughs> I was Sorry. I was really pleased with it. It it's uh, it did a fantastic job. It's very rigid, uh, which is what you want, and uh, there's no limitations for spherical's. I was able to use a one DS Mark III with it, so I was pretty happy with that. And I think it's like four hundred dollars or something. like it's that. It's the Nodal Ninja. Yes, the Nodal Ninja. Yeah, no, it's kind of a silly name, but <laughs> <laughs> but a good but a good uh, but a good pano. Yeah, yeah, that's about the. I mean, I've I've used a lot of heads over the years, and, and right. so far that's about the best one I've used. Yeah. Uh, how, how much is that one, Greg? 
I think it's around four hundred dollars. Uh, the other thing I like about it is, is, is for what it does, it's pretty small, and you can change the number of the stops from the outside. So it has right. click stops as you go around, which is really important when you're shooting panoramas. You need click stops, and you can do that without taking the whole unit apart, which is is what I like. They had some previous versions where you would have to disassemble the head right. in order to change the the number of click stops. So if you change lenses for panoramas, right? Yeah, because I have a Kaiden. Uh, which, I, right. which I which I like a lot. I haven't used the Nodal Ninja, but I like the Kaiden. And the newer ones, the older ones, man, it was always like these little rings that you put in. The new one has this big arm that kind of drops in and out, which is a lot a lot better. And I just set it to 12 because then I can do 12, 6, 3, 4. You know, I mean, that's, um, you know, for, for me. Uh, now, what, what lens are you using for that, by the way? Uh, well, it depends on my purpose. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. actually, I'll use different lenses depending on, on the uh well, basically, is, is my goal resolution? Am I going to be shooting HDR? Right. Uh, is the scene changing very rapidly? So if I want, if I want to have a little more resolution, so that I, and I use this for things like dome theater, I'll, I'll shoot my, with my 35. And so I'll, I'll end up with a, you know, an image, I think it's somewhere around uh, 32K wide right. um, and 16K high. And uh, if I... If instead I'm going to be shooting lots of brackets and I still want to finish within a you know a, a reasonable amount of time, right. um, I might shoot with my 20 millimeter. Right. I shoot with an eight. <laughs> ah, so you want to go very fast. I like to go fast. I <laughs> I just have it set to you know like a lot of times when I'm shooting on on a set you know it's it's mostly for lighting you know um, but it, but it, we may use it for some other stuff and so I have this uh, you know I have the the Sigma eight and I just. Uh, and I just pop it on there, and I and I have my little controller, and I I just set it to auto bracket, and just just grab everything around it, you know, to try to uh, to get something very fast. Usually, I have um, you know like a minute and a half before everyone starts to shoot to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. No, if you're doing it on set, being rapid is the, is the most important part, probably. Right, exactly. Another question here: We've got uh, uh, would uh, this is um, from Greg uh, Mike Mike Sell. And uh, it said... Not another Greg Downing? Not another Greg Downing. I was looking for that. I was looking for another <laughs> Greg Downing there. But uh, it turns out it's Greg Mike. quota on Greg Downing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we had some questions come in from a Greg Downing from Montana. And we just said, you know, we, we, can't, we can't let you come in. And not, not, not here. Not now. So, um, so uh, the two questions. Uh, what filters do you commonly use and why? I know silver filters can have their effects, uh, can, uh, have their effects simulated in post. But even... Uh, and even by software on the camera itself. And uh, are there filters that are sold that are particularly useful or useless? Um, and so that's that's his big question there. Now, what uh, what filters do you guys use? Polarizer. You what? Polarizer. Just a polarizer. Polarizer. Yeah, that's the only thing like, you can't really simulate. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's not even so much. I mean, the polarizer is sometimes nice because it will help you knock down the exposure on skies. But as long as you've got a, a meaty enough raw file, that's easy enough to do in post, but the reason you get a polarizer really is for taking reflections off of things, reflections off of water surfaces or glass or something like right, that. because that's not something you're going to be able to get back. Right. You can't do that in post, really, or at least not without a whole lot of work. Right. So, and, and polarizers are generally pretty, uh, that's, that's the common one. I, I, have, I have a tendency, I don't like to put a lot of filters on my lenses, you know, other than that, right? I mean, I yeah, I mean, you know, for, for all the rest of the stuff, color corrections, and I would just always do that in post. Sure. Yeah. I use a haste protection, filter just though. for protection, though. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And so the uh, so make sure to have uh, make sure to have those. So anyway, uh, and next make sure we- you pull off your polarizer before you shoot a panorama if you're planning on doing that. Make sure you take off your polarizer. 
That's right, because as as the uh, yeah, as uh, the angle changes, changes it, it will change the density of the sky. So, and then that'll be frustrating. Yes, <laughs> it'll show up as big bands in your panorama if you do panoramas with a polarizer. <laughs> I think the first time I did the the a pan, I think that was. I mean, the first time I did a a, a QuickTime VR, I couldn't figure out what had happened. You know, just it's just like why I had it set to manual. What had happened, and I forgot that I had a polarizer on. So anyway, so uh, but I learned. Uh, so the uh, so next week we've got uh, Q and A. So if you have more questions, this is a sample of some of the questions. But we've had kind of a long show here, and we'll uh, we'll have another uh, we'll have a Q and A coming up, uh, uh, and we'll uh, t- so make sure to send your questions into twipphoto.com. dot uh, com. So uh, m- get those up there. Uh, make sure to give us a name um, and uh, and uh, ask your question there, and we'll it's all questions, all show. Well, we'll have the news and all that other stuff. But. Well, and, and, unless unless the red announces another camera. Well, they, they're announcing something next week. I didn't want to talk about it because they haven't announced it yet. And I'm trying to embargo Red until they actually at least announce some vaporware rather than just rumor some vaporware. You know, well, so if, they, if, if they announce a camera, I'm just saying the Q&A is off because I know what will happen. Same thing happened last we'll time. We'll have to talk about it. Well, you know, you know uh, <laughs> they've said that on December 3rd, they're going to blow everything out of the water again, which they only did like a month ago. Um, but they haven't built anything that actually blows the water out. They just put out a speck of how they're going to blow the water you know, out of the lake. Well, and I think, I think that they picked that day because the second is the day that Nikon is rumored to be announcing officially the, DX, the D3X. <laughs> they're gonna, I think Reg is going to say, you know what, you know, all these big sensors, the, the 28,000 you know, 28, by 9,000, we're actually shipping on Friday. That's what I want. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping. That's, that's what I'm rooting for. I, I don't know. Don't hold if, your breath. <laughs> so it'll be it'll be something new and uh, it'll be something exciting I, i'm really just waiting to shoot see i i i the first thing i thought of when i saw that big twenty eight thousand by nine thousand was just going to a watering hole in africa and just just setting up there and just hitting go you know just recording you know everything that's happening because you wouldn't have to pan you wouldn't have to look around you just shoot this big panorama of uh, uh of all the stuff happening you could zoom in later and figure out what actually happened so uh, anyway very exciting. Uh, in the coming weeks, uh, as I said, between weeks, uh, either next week or the week after, we'll have a video. So you'll see some of Greg, Greg's work um, and some more breakdown. And tip of the week. Who's, who wants to do – Greg, do you have a tip of the week? I'm going to put you on, on – on, uh, on. Uh, taping, taping your focus uh, if you're doing a locked-off shot and, and make, oh. just make sure you don't bump it. Um, taping the focus. That's a sure. – <laughs> It's actually a really good one. Uh, I mean, I, I have a, um, a lot of times I'm always afraid of, uh, of, of having my, my focal length change. And right. So I, I've, I've taped my yeah. camera for that. So if you're using a zoom, that, that would work as well. Right. Exactly. Very, very good. So, uh, so and, my and, tip is to not use duct tape to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sticky. Perhaps, Greg, you could explain what taping the focus means to those in the audience who aren't into either nodes or interocular distances. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, once you set up your camera and you, you get your focus, you know, uh, set exactly where you want it. And you may be doing uh, other things, like you may be changing the exposure afterwards or you may be making other adjustments uh, while you're shooting. Uh, if you just take a little piece of tape, uh, this only works, of course, if you're using a DSLR, and you put a little tape uh, on the focus ring. Uh, so it prevents it from accidentally being bumped and, and adjusted, um, and using a low tack tape, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, like gaffer's tape is 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 uh, is that is that the kind of stuff you use? Um, I usually use a paper tape. Paper tape. Because uh, it's a little lower tack, so it won't get gummy and it's easy to tear off. 
Right, right. No, no glue, no glue. No yeah, glue. no glue. Super glue. Don't pour super glue. You know, <laughs> very, very good. And, and again, uh, Greg, where, where can people find you? Uh, xrez.com. X-R-E-Z. Great. Steve Simon, where can people find you? Twitter me. Uh, Twitter <laughs> slash Steve Simon. Twitter.com slash Steve Simon. So now, uh, Scott, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on I'm the Twitter as well at Scott Bourne. And of course, I'm usually busy writing something at the blog twitphoto.com and and then this week I'll be spending time looking at entries for the Aperture Nature Photography Workshop Contest which ends soon at f64.com and uh, Ron where can people find you Twitter is Ron Brinkman Brinkman with two ends at the end or a total of four ends in the name if you really want to be technical <laughs> <laughs> you, you'd be you'd be pretty easy if, if you're on on, um, on that you know on uh, you know one of those shows yeah <laughs> it's too early in the morning for me, so I can't, I can't quite keep my head in it. Also, uh, well, if, it, if everyone's throwing out their Twitter, I should throw mine in the hat, too. You can always twi- follow me at Greg Downing. How uh, good. I like it when people use their real name. It makes it much easier to figure out. So, Greg Downing. And, uh, and so, definitely, uh, there, there's everybody. Uh, special thanks to Aaron Mailer, who is our producer. Uh, Aaron, are you on the, are you on the, sh- on the line? Yes, I am. Yeah, right so here in the background. So we just want to make sure. I just want to make sure that, uh, that we we thank Aaron. Aaron is actually what makes us sound remotely organized. So, uh, uh, and we actually sound sometimes like we know what we're talking about. Uh, Aaron does incredible uh, setup for us, and I just wanted to make sure that uh, we put two cents in. So thank you very much, Aaron. Steve's back here in chat saying to uh, say goodbye for him too. Okay, bye bye, bye bye, Steve. Um, and so uh, anyway, that's it. Until next week, put that lens cap right back on. <laughs> <laughs>